Good morning, friends. It's good to be with you. It's wonderful to be with you this morning as uh, we worship God together and uh, we conclude this sequence of our Finding Enough series this fall. Last week, we reflected on the parable of the dishonest manager, as well as Jesus' teaching that you cannot serve God and wealth. Following worship, a number of us gathered for a wonderful time of dialogue to discuss this passage, as well as the idea or the ethic of enough. A number of the insights from this discussion will be lifted into our sermon this morning as we approach another challenging parable from Luke's gospel, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 16th chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with the 19th verse. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime, you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things, and now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever found yourself just overly focused on something? So much so that you're so focused on something that you have a sort of tunnel vision that you miss whatever's happening right in front of you. As I said earlier, this past Sunday, we had a wonderful conversation together about money, possessions, and what it means to have enough, to live out an ethic of enough. Sure, our culture encourages us to want more, but all of us also actively participate in this culture of more. Members of our community reflected together on how our possessions, our things, 
often have a way of owning us rather than us owning them. We have something, but that also means that we have to take care of that something. We have to take care of our things. We have to maintain them. We have to fix them. We have to update them, and so on and so on. One participant even shared that they felt like whenever they went on vacation, they got to take a break from their stuff as well. When you're away, there's no worrying about the water heater that's a little clunky, or in my case, the dishwasher that leaks a little bit when you don't close it just right. Our stuff, while in most cases necessary for our lives, it can also take a toll on our focus. It can weigh down our mental bandwidth. Perhaps it might even make us miss something happening right in front of us. Today's gospel lesson, Jesus tells us a parable about someone whose stuff or his excessive consumption of things, how this keeps him from noticing a neighbor in need. Now, I'll be honest with you, this is a challenging parable. It's not one for the faint of heart. This isn't just because of the troubling imagery of the afterlife, which being a parable probably isn't meant to be a literal rendering of Luke's idea of the afterlife. But I think this parable is troubling because it challenges the very way of the world in which we live. Of course, that's Jesus for you, right? Jesus tells this parable to a group of Pharisees whom he's just called lovers of money. So he introduces a rich man as someone who was dressed to the nines and feasted sumptuously every day. One scholar notes that the Greek form of this word to feast lavishly underscores that this wasn't a one-off thing. He wasn't having a party on a special occasion. No, this was an ongoing, regular occurrence of indulgence. He dressed, ate, and drank like a king every day. And it's this excessive, conspicuous consumption that causes him to completely miss a neighbor in need. Next, we meet a poor man named Lazarus. Now, fun Bible trivia for you. Lazarus is the only character uh, named in a parable Jesus tells in in the Gospels. His name simply means, my God helps. Foreshadowing, of course, the reversal that will come soon. Unlike the rich man, Lazarus is hungry. He's clothed not in purple and linen, but rather with sores that even the dogs come to lick, adding quite literally insult to injury. But the most striking thing about Lazarus to me is his proximity. He's not on the other side of the tracks. He's not in the bad part of town. He's literally lying there, dying there right at the gate of the rich man. Yet the rich man's daily indulgent feasting and celebrating keeps him from noticing his neighbor Lazarus's plight, not on some other part of town, not in the next town over, but rather right at his gate. What's interesting is that in this culture, in this time, the gate of one's property 
was the very place associated with hospitality and welcome. It's the place you would go to greet a visitor, a guest coming to your home. But unfortunately, in this parable, the gate has gone from being a place of hospitality to the very place of oppression. Jesus goes on with the parable saying that both men die, and in the afterlife, they experience quite a reversal of fortunes. Lazarus is carried by the angels to the bosom of Abraham, who's not so much functioning in a St. Peter's kind of role in the afterlife. Rather, Abraham in this culture is understood as the paragon of hospitality, the very, the very goal or pinnacle of what hospitality looks like. The rich man, however, is not brought to Abraham, but to Hades, where he's being tormented and in agony. Somehow in this cosmic afterlife imagery, the rich man is able to plead with Abraham. And what does he ask? He asks Lazarus to serve him, to soothe his tongue with cool water. It turns out that the rich man not only knows Lazarus' name, but he also expects that Lazarus will still serve him even in the afterlife. Abraham steps right in, though, and and uh, reminds the rich man of the reversal of fortunes, but also that a great chasm or a gulf has been placed between them that cannot be traversed. It can't be passed. The rich man can't blame him, keeps trying, though, asking Abraham if Lazarus can go and warn the rich man's brothers so that they can avoid his awful fate. Lord help this guy, he doesn't get it. He still thinks Lazarus can go and do his bidding for him. Abraham sternly responds that the man's brothers have Moses and the prophets. And if they won't listen to them, why would they listen to anyone else, even if they happen to rise from the dead? The parable ends without any sort of pleasing resolution, which has left Christians flummoxed about this for centuries. A helpful angle from perhaps for maybe thinking about this parable, and one that scholars have continued to wrestle with, is where did the rich guy go wrong? Was it his simply being a wealthy man? After all, Jesus has almost just said, just a few verses ago, that you cannot serve God and wealth. The story doesn't seem to critique the man's wealth so much as it critiques his use of it particularly his excessive celebrations, which keeps him from noticing Lazarus suffering at his gate. Abraham reminds the rich man of the teachings of Moses and the prophets, who constantly reminded Israel of their role, their imperative to care for your neighbors in need. The last, the least, and the lost. This ethical imperative from the Torah, from the Old Testament, of caring for those in need remains the primary teaching in Jesus' ministry. The rich man's failure, then, was not offering hospitality to Lazarus. Why? Because he was too preoccupied with his stuff to even notice him. This is the detail, friends, that stuck out to uh, those who participated in our dialogue session last Sunday. Our 
participants shared how the rich man showed no compassion for Lazarus because he was so preoccupied with this stuff. Using a blog post from the minimalism community, we discussed a concept in Greek philosophy, uh, one from Aristotle, that is, uh, that uh, a term called eudaimonia, roughly meaning a good life. It was kind of understood as an ideal to strive towards in life, to live a life of meaning, to live a life that seeks the flourishing of all those around you. This is contrasted, this idea of eudaimonia is contrasted with hedonism, or pleasure or joy simply for the sake of pleasure and no other end. Hedonic joy is temporal, it's fleeting, it's passing. But eudaimonian fulfillment is sustained. It's sustained in life-giving relationships and knowing that your life is spent in service and in community with those around you. Biblical scholars have noted that Luke was very much aware of this notion of eudaimonia in his writing and and, um, crafting of his gospel. And they even claim that Luke expands the meaning of eudaimonia to include broader social implications, like caring for those in need in your community, making sure that all of your neighbors have what they need to live and thrive. From this lens, the rich man's failure is living a hedonic life rather than a life that strives towards eudaimonia. His sole end was his own pleasure and enjoyment. For the rich man, a life of eudaimonia would not have consisted in just his own enjoyment, but in seeking joy by extending hospitality and reaching out to those like Lazarus in his midst. I had the opportunity to talk about this parable with a man named Joe Saul Seahide, who in addition to being a retired financial advisor, is also the creator of the uh, personal finance podcast, Stacking Benjamins. The parable reminded Saul Sihai that, like the rich man, many of us see the various needs around our community, and we still neglect to care for our neighbors in need. Too often, we're like the rich man who, even in the afterlife, expect the impoverished to serve our own needs. Joe shared with me that enough isn't so much about accumulating stuff as it is about what you will do with that stuff. And helping one's community is a crucial, a vital piece of this work. Joe's reflection on this parable reminded me, um, and you might remember back a couple weeks ago when we began this series with the parable of the prodigal son. Remember how when the younger son asked for his share of his father's estate, he simply asked for his stuff, his ousia in Greek? But then the narrator, Jesus, corrects him, stepping right in, and corrects the younger son request by saying that his father gave him not his stuff, not his ousia, but rather his bios, the resources which accounted for his very life's work. It's a reminder that our money, our possessions, our things are resources for giving and sustaining life. Not just our own, not just our family and our friends, but our neighbors as well, particularly those in need. 
So friends, as we wrap up this sequence of our Finding Enough series, I'll ask you again, what does it mean to have enough? While this answer looks a little different for each person, and that this answer, this ethic, will change and continue to develop throughout one's life, Luke's Jesus provides us with some helpful guidance as we develop it. First, that our possessions, our resources, however great or small, carry the potential to give and sustain life. Ours as well as our neighbor's. Also, it does not simply suffice to ask yourself if you have enough and then be content with that. Now, our parable this morning reminds us that an ethic of enough means that we are also called to discern who among us, our neighbors, our friends, our family members, even strangers, who among us doesn't have enough. And how can we reach out and love and care to them? It's this kind of ethic which seeks enough, not just for ourselves, our household and family, but also our neighbors. It's this kind of ethic that leads us towards eudaimonia. It's this kind of ethic of enough which allows us to live not just a happy life, but a meaningful life. And it's this kind of ethic which will continually move us towards seeking enough for ourselves, but just as importantly, enough for our neighbors as well. Friends, may we continue to be challenged by this parable, that we might continue to seek out this ethic of enough together in friendship, in dialogue, and of course in love, that all of God's children might have enough. Amen.